Good evening, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com as well. At St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Lots of stuff we're going to get into today in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. Just a reminder, if you want to, give the show a call, number 732-364-3598, or you can comment on the Facebook Live or Periscope feed. Coming at you at just a random time today, and I said all along, I do thank everybody that tunes in to the show. But, you know, most importantly, I am content with the fact that the majority of my views and listens I get on the show are after the fact. So really, no set time is really going to help me. But here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm, I'm going to throw out a trivia question. And first person to give the correct answer will win a $10 iTunes gift card that I'll mail and send to your house promptly. So we'll start out with the show, and then a little bit later... I'll give the answer to the question. If anybody gives the correct answer, obviously they win the gift card. And then we'll wait a little later on to talk about the topic that I want to bring up. And here's the question that I'm going to throw out there. It is, the Cincinnati Reds retired Johnny Bench's number five. But one time prior, they retired another number five. Who was the player not named Johnny Bench? to have his number retired by the Cincinnati Reds. And I like the question for this reason because it's not Google-centric. Um, sure, I think if you dig deep enough into it, you could probably come up with and find the answer. I'd prefer that you didn't. But if you don't know it, try to do some research and figure it out. Whoever is the first person to identify that will win a $10 iTunes gift card that I'll send it to your house. A couple things we're gonna hit up today. Got one more day before the baseball writers end up throwing their vote out there for the Hall of Fame. We'll find out who gets in. You can follow, if you want, Ryan Thibodeau and some of the other Hall trackers that are fairly accurate. I think they got a sense or give you an idea of what's probably going to happen or who's going to get into the Hall of Fame. But obviously it doesn't account for the 150 or so baseball writers that are going to keep their votes anonymous and more than likely are going to be more inclusive in regards to who they're holding back in the Hall of Fame. So votes that you see tallied that are up and near a certain point that you think are going to be what they are, expect to see them drop quite a bit as we get towards tomorrow. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. The Carson Wentz situation with the Philadelphia Eagles, which if you follow the show, you know where my rant's going to come to. My rant's going to go to the part and the, the fraction of the problem that exists in a world when it comes to sports that doesn't get brought up enough. So you already know my angle on that. The first thing, obviously, we have to talk about a recap of Sunday. Two very good games we had in the NAFC and NFC Championship games. And obviously, if you're a fan of the past ball show, you know I'm not going to break down play-by-play. Play. We're not going to talk about scores because we don't care about any of that stuff here on the past ball show. Obviously, you have a game that probably for the first time in playoff history may have been decided or could very well have gone the other way because of an incorrect call and a blown call by the officials at the end of the football game. And now I've heard many different takes on it, but I haven't seen anybody really get to the root of what I sense is the problem. What I see is the lack of what we're seeing is this problem with incorrect calls exists through officials 
Sure, officials are human beings. They're going to make mistakes, just like anybody that is in any sort of position. As I'm talking to you, I'm going to make a mistake somewhere along the lines. I'm going to say something that may not come out in the way that I want to say. I'm going to go for a fact, know the fact in my head, and then all of a sudden I'm going to forget the fact. In fact, if you follow the history of the past ball show and how long it has existed, you'll find that I've made very many mistakes over the course of my show. I give 100% accountability to them. And accountability is an issue. And you see a lack of accountability that exists. And I've said through baseball for many years, as it applies to umpires. The umpires that are the worst very seldom have their names thrown out there as being the worst. Yes, there's the Angel Hernandez's of the world that may or may not be given the right amount of criticism that they deserve. It may be a little false. It may be a little bit of a stereotype or a negative connotation that exists towards one particular umpire. But I don't see the accountability when it comes to umpires in baseball. You certainly don't see accountability as it applies and should apply to officials in the sport of professional football. The question I have to throw out there, you have to Google it. You have to go a little deeper into articles to figure out who was the official that was standing by the pylon or by the sidelines that missed a call on Sunday in a Chiefs-Rams game. We know about the player that had to pass interference or should have been called for pass interference. We know about the receiver that was in the area that was interfered with, but nobody on the broadcast decided to announce the name of the official that missed that call. And obviously the officials in the National Football League are not singular as umpires are in Major League Baseball. And I think part of that is done to protect the identity of the officials. Instead of saying, hey, this particular official missed the call and did a bad job, they say the entire crew messed up. And I understand that the crew, just like a team, you could talk about the two teams in the National Football League game between the Rams and the Saints, or the two National Football League teams that existed between the Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs, and you say, hey, if one person makes a mistake in one of those games individually, it could cost the whole team. The whole team can lose because of the actions of one player. But we understand in the world of sports that if we see somebody make a mistake, we identify that player, and that player, yes, for a little while or sometimes for a longer period of time is going to take some criticism and is probably going to be the GOAT. And I'm going to talk about the word GOAT in a minute because I hate the way that it's used right now in 2019. But when we're talking about somebody that makes a mistake, what is there that exists for that person in the future to rectify it? And Steve Hall, congratulations. Right on the spot, getting uh, Willard Hirschberger as the answer to the trivia question. I'm gonna connect with you, I'll find a way to send you a $10 iTunes gift card. So good job getting that right. Once again, it's the past ball show brought to you by JohnPielli.com. And of course, yes, we are talking about Willard Hirschberger, who I will bring up later on in the show today. So as I'm finishing my opening monologue talking about officials in the National Football League, and the fact that there is no accountability for the individual officials that make a mistake. And I'm going to throw a name out there, Patrick Turner. I'm going to throw out another name, Gary Cavaletta. 
those were the two officials that were closest to the play that missed the call in the Saints-Rams game. And I think that's a terrible job. It should not have happened. But what these officials can do, pretty similar to any player that makes a mistake, pretty similar to Don Denkinger, who missed the call as the first base umpire in the 1985 World Series in Game 6 between the Cardinals and the Kansas City Royals. Or Jim Joyce, who missed the call at first base, uh, essentially nullifying the opportunity that Armando Galarraga had of throwing a perfect game. They have a chance at redemption. They have a chance to continue to go out there and do their job. They're not going to be blackballed. They're not going to be fired. They're not going to lose their job over the course of the exam or the example of one bad call. And that needs to be thrown out there because while we talk about mistakes, and we can, sure, as the media and shows like this go to town and criticize somebody for not doing something right, that person has the opportunity at redemption. But if their name is thrown behind it and there's accountability set up for said mistake, you can go out there and do your job better the next time. Like I said, I go out there and have a lousy show. But, you know, as long as I can hit my camera and go back on, and there's a couple people out there that are listening to me, I have a chance to redeem myself. The same applies to athletes. The same applies to officials over the course of sports. And what we need to do is give these officials the opportunity to redeem themselves or to maybe explain by being asked some questions by members of the media, what happened, what did you see, what didn't you see. But most importantly, they need to be accountable for what it is that they missed. Sean Payton running down the sidelines, screaming that the call was missed, which was blatant, it was right in front of all of our eyes. And for those of us that didn't see it live, saw it very clearly on the replay. You can talk about how rules could be changed in football, how maybe there should be some more deeper video review as we get closer to the end of a football game, especially a game that has a ton of impact like a conference championship game. I agree with all that, but I think the key that's missing is there's no accountability here. The NFL goes out there and sends a message to the New Orleans Saints saying, hey, we, we own it, we take responsibility for the bad call, but that's not going to do anything to change the results of that game. And some people may say, hey, it's a little too much to throw the officials, whether their names are Patrick Turner and or Gary Cavalletto, the two officials that were closest to this call that was missed, the two officials that had the best opportunity to throw a penalty flag in this situation, the ones that up to this point have not taken any criticism because their names have been held back because it's being protected through the identity of the National Football League. We say the official's crew screwed up. No, Patrick Turner screwed up. Gary Cavalletto screwed up. Pretty similar to anybody else that's ever made a mistake before. They'll have some chance at redemption, but you know what? They should be the ones to stand up in front of those cameras and have to answer the questions from the media. Not Sean Payton, not the quarterback for the Rams not a player or a coach on either one of those two pro football teams. The officials that screwed up should have to answer to it. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for your entertainment of our audience. 
any publication or reproduction or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the past ball show, JohnPaley.com and JohnPaley LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So I wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about the upcoming Baseball Hall of Fame vote, which we'll hear about tomorrow. The announcement will likely include the likes of Mariano Rivera and Roy Holiday, and could very well also include Edgar Martinez and Mike Messina. And obviously, uh, Rivera and Holiday on the ballot for the first time. So the likeliness, based off of where they're ranking in regards to progressions and the amount of writers that have voted for him at this point, it looks like they're pretty good in regards to probably having over 75%, which will be announced tomorrow. We'll find out about Edgar Martinez. We'll find out about Mike Messina. And obviously, as for Kurt Schilling and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, they're at least going to have to wait another year before they get what you may view, and you're honestly, you're obviously entitled to your honest opinion, they're worthy due or they're non-worthy due. And I've talked about the Hall of Exclusion as it has applied for years and years, and there's all different reasons, but the bottom line or the consensus thesis that people have when we talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame and why is, is it so excluding of some of the best players to ever play the sport is high ethical standards. And the moral police come out there and say ethical, and they use words like, you know, for the best of the game. And they say it's America's sport, it's America's pastime, pure. You hear the word pure used way more times than it ever should be to describe baseball, which unfortunately, just like everything else in life, has its own scars. Scars that date back to the last hundred years over the treatment of black and African-American athletes. Racism as it is applied in the sport for many, many years. Criminals that disguise themselves as players in the 19th century in baseball. So we talk about a sport and we say that the sanctity is at risk if we induct a couple players that use performance-enhancing drugs over the course of their careers. And I hate to say this, I hate to break your heart if you're a die-hard moral police officer when it comes to players that use performance-enhancing drugs. There are more than one player in the Baseball Hall of Fame already that use performance-enhancing drugs. And I want to add this to you. Those that feel, the writers, the baseball writers of America that are holding back Barry Bonds, that are holding back Roger Clemens, the day is going to come where your vote and your opinion doesn't matter. Because whether Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens sneaks in this year or next year or the year after when it comes to being voted in by the baseball writers or has to wait until they're up to be voted on or voted for by the Veterans Committee, they're getting in. And this may bother you if you're, you, you really feel like you're doing your job by keeping these players out. But one thing that has existed in the history of baseball, doesn't matter how bad a person is, it doesn't matter what kind of mistakes a player or a person associated with baseball is or has been or for will ever be known as, the best of each generation, for the exception of very few, are in baseball's Hall of Fame. 
Of course, Pete Rose isn't. Of course, Shoeless Joe Jackson isn't. Of course, there's a couple other minor cases that isn't. But the majority of the people that are being held out of the Hall of Fame are those that played in the most recent era. And a lot of it has to do with steroids. In the case of Kurt Schilling and Albert Bell, it's because the media doesn't like him. Well, Kurt Schilling is getting close enough, and he may get in in spite of the writers hating him. Albert Bell should get in at some point in spite of the writers not liking him. But the issue that we tend to feel with the sport of baseball, like it's so different from any other sport, is that we only want to enshrine saints. And maybe there's a couple people that could be along the lines of saints. You know, even the, you know, you think of a branch Ricky, he's a pretty good example of something that was good for the game. You know, a Christian guy, but most importantly, somebody that always tried to stood for what he felt was good and what was best for everybody and was not inclusive. You know, you think of somebody like Connie Mack, even he had his flaws. You know, as a businessman, help players back from being able to make the certain wage or the amount of money that was due to them at that time. And rather than pay them what it is that they deserve, he decided to trade them and put the whole sanctity of the sport at risk because he wanted to see he, he wanted to see a bottom line as opposed to having a winning team. Baseball is not perfect. If we're looking at reasons to hold players out of baseball's Hall of Fame, they have to hold themselves up to the test. And when we look at guys like the like with the likes of Harold Baines getting in, people want to be mad at Harold Baines. They should really be more mad about the amount of players that are being held out of the Hall of Fame because that draws more attention to more mediocre and cases that you have to dig deep into your pockets to make of why somebody is in baseball's Hall of Fame. You're going to see the Veterans Committee continue to bring in marginal players. Now, I like the fact that they righted the wrong with Alan Trammell. I like the fact that the Veterans Committee righted the wrong when it came to Lee Smith. And if the baseball writers of America can learn one lesson, that their vote or their, their abstaining to vote or their cho choose or their decision to vote for somebody else held somebody out of the Baseball Hall of Fame, whether it was a Jack Morris, whether it was an Alan Trammell, whether it was a Harold Baines, whether it was a Lee Smith, whether it was a Rabbit Man, Man, Maribel or a Red Shandies or anybody else along the lines of somebody that was voted in by the Veterans Committee. Baseball writers didn't vote him in. And that player is still considered a Hall of Famer. If Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens has to wait about 5 to 10 years and gets voted in by the Veterans Committee, it doesn't matter that the baseball writers didn't enshrine that player or vote them in. They're still Hall of Famers. They're all just the same amount of Hall of Famers as everybody that is a first ballot Hall of Famer, whether it turns out to be Mariano Rivera and Roy Holiday this year. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beechwood aging produces the taste, the smoothness, and drinkability you'll find in no beer at any cost. So you hear the story coming out of Philadelphia 
and I do give the writer credit. At least he decides to put his name behind it. His name is Joseph Santoliquido of Philadelphia, and he decides that he's got enough information. He cites more than a half a dozen anonymous Philadelphia players, and a problem behind this is the, the writer doesn't have the story if the players have to put their names behind it. So I understand a player deciding to withhold his name because he has a lot on the line. And anybody that listens to the show that is or has been a player, you understand that. That there's certain things that you don't say and don't put your name behind because you're at risk of your livelihood. You could be at risk of losing your job. You could be at risk of damaging the relationship that you have with your current teammates. So if somebody is going to take a shot at their teammates, they're going to do it in a cowardly fashion. And my suggestion all along has been this. If there's some things that probably just shouldn't be said, doesn't matter if you feel that way. doesn't matter if you're feeling like you're being bullied or pressured by the sports writer or the reporter that wants to do their story. You just abstain from making that statement. If it's a statement that you have to hide your name from, it's probably a statement that you shouldn't be making. So the story out here obviously exists with the Philadelphia Eagles that there are players that are certainly torn between the likes of Carson Wentz and Nick Foles as their starting quarterback. And you know what? You don't have to be a star writer to put a story together like this. Nick Foles was the quarterback of the Eagles at this time last year with Carson Wentz out with an ACL tear, helped the team win the Super Bowl in almost an improbable fashion. But a couple times he's had the opportunity to run the team this past year, including their short playoff run. He's done a pretty good job. He's Looks like he controls the offense. The players on that team on the offensive side seem to be responding to Nick Foles. And if you don't have to be an in-depth reporter to be able to report that kind of information. Now, what you know Santa Laquito is trying to do is he's trying to come up with a bigger story to say that hey, there's division in a clubhouse and is making assertions that Carson Wentz essentially is not necessarily a good person. He's acting like a diva. He's bullying his offensive coordinator. He you know, has this impression like he has won a ton of Super Bowls. The guy should be confident, by the way. I'll stick up for every one of these points that were made up in there. And the biggest thing that stands up is the rest of Carson Wentz's teammates that are standing up and defending him. Many have gone and taken to Twitter to defend Wentz and his impressions on the club and to try to squash this report that's coming out of Philadelphia. The issue, once again, and I'll keep saying this, is the fact that there's a story that's up there. It's causing a stir, but there's really nothing to it because you don't have an actual name behind any of these players. And maybe... Maybe you get a jerk that ends up getting exiled off the team and takes a couple pot shots against the likes of Carson Wentz when he's no longer there. That may happen. You could see a jerk decide to do that. But for this guy to get this story, and I understand, you know what? Writing and putting stories up on the internet is a livelihood to some people. And to just go out there and recap the Eagles game against the Chicago Bears or the Eagles game 
against the likes of the Los Angeles Rams is probably not enough for some beef beat reporters. The problem that exists is going out of your way to try to come up with a story just for the sake of having something out there. Writers and reporters go to far too much lengths to do that. And I understand, once again, from the player standpoint, that if you find out that player A, player B, and player C, and our names were part of the story, were the ones that went out there and said these things about Carson Wentz, even if they believed wholeheartedly that Carson Wentz was what this reporter is trying to make him out to be, they're putting their livelihood at risk by doing it. So I understand why they don't do it, and I understand why they won't do it. But the problem is, we're getting because of the reporting of opinion, and in some cases fiction as opposed to fact and researched fact, this story is going to get a lot of play. And a story that doesn't have any likes to it unless it has the names of a particular play. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, as well as St. Aloysius Urchin School in Jackson, New Jersey. Um, the answer of the trivia questions that I threw out there, I do want to give the winner a little bit of credit. Stevie, good job. Uh, once again, I'll get a hold of you. I'll send you a $10 iTunes gift card. Before Johnny Bench, there was a player for the Cincinnati Reds that had his number retired. And his number was retired temporarily. He wore the same number five. And his name was Willard Hirschberg. And on August 3rd, 1940, he chose to do the despicable task of ending his own life. And in fact, in the history of Major League Baseball, he became the first active Major League player to commit suicide and take his own life. And Willa Hirschberger, who I've, I've mentioned on my show, I've written about in my blog, was a backup catcher for the Reds for about three seasons, spent about seven or eight years as a minor league catcher to New York Yankees organization was pretty highly touted as we hit the concluding point here on the past ball show to clock the whole thing. Was behind the likes of a Bill Dickey who was one of the best catchers in baseball and certainly a guy who ends up going into baseball's Hall of Fame. So if you are backing up Bill Dickey, you're probably not going to get into that many games. And Hirschberger was getting a chance to play every day in the minor leagues. Spent the first eight years of his professional career in the Yankee system before he was traded to the Cincinnati Reds, and then had the ability to back up, was good enough to back up the great Ernie Lombardi, a catcher who posthumously was put into baseball's Hall of Fame himself. Hirschberger had some mental issues, going back to the time where his father, at you know, in the year of 1928, chose to commit suicide himself. Willard felt a lot of responsibility for that since he had used the gun and ended up leaving it out with the hopes of cleaning it the next morning. His father going through a tough time with some depression and the fact that he had just lost his job and his ability to provide for his family, which included Willard's mother and Willard's younger sister, 
sees the gun, takes it to the bathroom, and ends his own luck. So Willard Hershberger feels responsibility for that, but also is a person that, as a ball player, is very hard on himself and has a lot of issues when it comes to making a mistake or calling the wrong pitches as a catcher. Feels like he is responsible for his team losing games. So all this comes to a head, and he takes a blade out of a razor of one of his teammates and slits his throat and bleeds to death, becoming the first player in baseball history to commit suicide. A little bit of a recap of the show today. It's time to identify the officials that missed the call in the Saints-Rams game. Patrick Turner, Gary Cavalletto, you're on the clock. Your name should be trending on the internet right now. You have an opportunity to right the wrong at some point. Maybe you prove yourself as a better official. But now you're in the same category as a Don Dankinger or a Jim Joyce. And you should have to deal with questions from the media. Your names should be public knowledge for the mistake that you made or the oversight that you had that cost a team a chance to get to the Super Bowl. All exclusion we always talk about, what sport has the equivalent of its all-time hit leader, all-time home run champion, the player has the most Cy Youngs, the player has the most MVPs, the players that have the third and fourth highest batting average in its respective history, the player that has the third highest amount of accumulated strikeouts as a pitcher, and the players that have the top four single-season home run totals in the history of the sport, not in its Hall of Fame. And if you as a baseball writer feel like you are doing the sport the correct justice it deserves, I can't wait to see these players get in through the Veterans Committee, and still be just as much of Hall of Famers as they would be if you voted them in like they should have been. We talked about the Carson Wentz story, another you know, bullshit story that's set up by a writer who doesn't identify any of his sources. He may have a story, but the players are giving him information, choose to not identify themselves, but until they do, it's still not a story. Yeah, people are going to waste time talking about it. Willer Hirschberger, like I said, the answer to the trivia question. This is the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side.